Hi folks, I want to welcome you to the adult Sunday school time here at the Kerbinsville Christian Church. And we are doing our study through the Old Testament, a survey of the Old Testament. And currently we are in the books of 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. We've entitled this section of our survey, Israel's Kings and Prophets. And so today we're going to be focusing on 2nd Kings chapter 8 verses 15 through chapter 10 verse 36 we're also going to be covering second chronicles chapter 21 verse 1 through chapter 22 verse 9 and we're going to focus on three kings today they interact or are very much involved in each other's lives a little bit we'll see that here as we go on and we're going to look at king jehoram now we've been studying a king jehoram who is the king of israel but we're going to be focused on the king of Judah, whose name is Jehoram, as well as the king of Judah, whose name is Uzziah. And then we're going to focus on the king of Israel, at start of a new dynasty, Jehu. So let's look at this together. We're going to focus on scriptures as we go along. And you'll see that there's some interaction with each other as we go along as well. So... Let's look at this together. Not necessarily going to look at the scriptures as we go along because we've got a lot of material to cover. So here's the first thing I want you to see. We're going to talk about Jehoram, king of Judah. And this is found in 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 16 through 24, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 1 to 20. So here's what I want you to notice first. In the fifth year of King Jehoram, of Israel, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, became Judah's king. So there is this Jehoram, we've already seen he's the son of Ahab in the north, but now we see the son of Jehoshaphat, whose name is Jehoram, he becomes Judah's king as well. Now, just so you understand, that seems to be an odd name to you and I in our world today. Nobody's going around naming their sons Jehoram. Well, in Israel at this time, in the northern and southern kingdom, Jehoram may very well have been a very popular name. And it's not unusual that the king of the north, the king of Israel at that time, and that a king in the south, the king of Judah, would have the same names especially when we see that there is a connection between the house of Ahab and the house of Jehoshaphat. You're going to see what that connection is here soon. So Jehoshaphat gave his other sons gifts of gold, silver, and fortified cities in Judah. So you know that these kings by this point have more than one wife. They have wives and concubines, not as many as King Solomon, but they do have many wives and many concubines. And with that, they have many sons. So one son is the heir to the throne. That's Jehoram. So what do you do with these other sons? Well, Jehoshaphat made basically arrangements for when he died that these sons would receive gifts of gold, silver, and fortified cities. He may have already taking care of that before he died. Well, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and ruled over Judah for eight years. 
So Jehoram here in the south, he becomes king. He's, he's 32 years old. And when he becomes king, his reign only lasts eight years. Now that's pretty, not as significant as when his dad ruled for over 20 some years. Now when Jehoram became king, he had his brothers killed with the sword. Now, this is interesting. There could be a lot of reasons why. One of the things we're going to see as to why from Jehoram is that he's not a godly man. He's a wicked man. So basically, he's going to eliminate any possible threat to his throne, his, his kingship, by eliminating all of his brothers who would have legitimately had a claim to the throne if there was a problem with Jehoram. So he eliminates all of them. He kills all of them. Now, the scripture goes on and tells us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord because he walked in the ways of Ahab, king of Israel. So the thing you're going to notice is, is this guy chooses not to walk in the ways of his father, Jehoshaphat, or his grandfather, David, but chooses to walk in the ways of King Ahab of the north, which we know King Ahab was involved in Baal worship, not just the worship of these two calves from, Jehor, from Jeroboam, but rather he's also a Baal worshiper. Now the scripture tells us that he walked this way in the ways of King Ahab. Why? Because this was because he married the daughter of Ahab. All right, so let's stop for a moment. I need you to understand what's going on here. If you remember from our survey before, Jehoshaphat was the first to enter into an alliance with the northern kingdom. Up until that point, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah were at odds with each other. They fought against each other. Well, we come to Jehoshaphat's reign, even though he was a godly king. Remember, he was rebuked by prophets because of this. He entered into an alliance with the northern kingdom. Now, typically in that day, when there were alliances between kingdoms, they would exchange, well, how should I say this? Brides. One side would give the other side a princess or a daughter to solidify the alliance and that's exactly what we see happening here what happens is is that Ahab probably gave his daughter to Jehoshaphat to marry one of his sons to further strengthen the alliance and the son who received this daughter was Jehoram so he was married to the daughter of Ahab. Now, now here's what I want you to understand. That's a pretty dangerous thing to do spiritually. Why? Because this daughter, yes, is the daughter of Ahab, but it's also the daughter of Jezebel who led the northern kingdom into Baal worship because she was the daughter of the king of Sidon. Now, in spite of this, the scripture tells us that the Lord would not destroy Judah because of his promise to David. Remember, the Lord made a promise to David in the Davidic covenant that he would ensure that there would be a seed of David on the throne of Judah from that point on. Well, 
because of that commitment, the Lord did not destroy Judah because of Jehoram's sin. Okay? So we want to go on a little bit here. Now, if we go a little bit further, the text tells us that during the days of Jehoram, Edom revolted against Judah and made themselves a king. Now, remember, during the reign of Jehoshaphat, Edom, which is not part of Israel, which is Esau, okay? So that is a connection there historically between Jacob and Esau, between Israel and Esau. Well, Edom by this point had become servants of Judah. They were defeated by David, brought into subjugation. Of course, there had been other times there were rebellions against them, but by the time of Jehoshaphat, they were a vassal state in subjection to Judah. Well, during the time of Jehoram, they revolted against Judah and they set themselves up their own king. Well, what happens when you have a vassal state that rebels against you? Well, you got to bring them back into line. So guess what? Jehoram went to Edom with his army where he was surrounded by Edom. So Jehoram takes an army. He's going to bring them back into subjection. Well, the problem is it doesn't go that way. They end up getting surrounded. And it's not good. So this forced Jehoram to flee back to Jerusalem. He got out of there by the skin of his teeth. He got out of there as soon as he could without being defeated by Edom. Now the text goes on and tells us, the writer notes that Edom has been in rebellion and has since been in rebellion and Libna, which was another area, also rebelled against Judah. So you see these rebellions going on and that Edom was in rebellion against Judah from that point on. These rebellions took place because Jehoram had forsaken the God of his father. Now remember when we went through the law, we went through the first five books, especially when we went through the covenant that Moses had established with them, and especially the blessings and the cursings in the book of Deuteronomy, that when they turned away from the Lord, when they ceased to follow them, the Lord would bring rebellion, would bring suffering, would bring a lack of peace to the land because of their rebellion against God and forsaking the God of their fathers. And so because of this, these rebellions took place. The text is very clearly telling us that. Now, it also tells us that by forsaking the Lord, here's what Jehoram did. He also made high places in Judah and led the kingdom to commit harlotry. Now, it's interesting at this point that I need to make a note to you because the Old Testament equates two things. Harlotry, you and I would recognize, is sexual immorality. It's basically prostituting yourself or being involved with prostitutes. And so you're saying, well, it sounds like Jehoram led him into being involved with prostitutes. Well, in a guess, in a sense, yes, because typically involved with these worship of these gods that they were told not to be involved with was a form of temple prostitutes. But 
Other than that, I want you to see it this way. When you go through the prophets, they will talk about Israel whoring against God. Why? Because they would whore with other gods. So sexual immorality here is equated with idolatry. So when it talks about he made the kingdom to commit harlotry, he's basically saying he made the kingdom to get involved with idolatry, the worship of other gods. And so again, making these high places. Now, something is very interesting that's going to happen here when you look at the text, because there's something that happens here that's very interesting, and that's this, is that Jehoram, king of Judah, gets a letter from Elijah. Now, this is interesting because this is the first and only time in the narratives of First and Second Kings do you see anywhere that Elijah wrote to anyone or something is recorded by him. And what is recorded by him is a letter. And he sends this letter to Jehoram. So Elijah sent a letter to Jehoram with a word from the Lord. Now, I'm sure you probably are perplexed because you're saying, now wait a minute, George. Isn't it at this point that Elijah has been translated or he has been carried away by the chariots of fire? He doesn't experience death, but he goes to be with the Lord. How is it that he's sending a letter to Jehoram? Well, here's what I want you to understand. At the end of Jehoshaphat's life, he basically had a co-regency with Jehoram. They co-ruled. Maybe it's because towards the end of his life, even though he was still king, he couldn't rule in the day-to-day -day affairs. But Jehoram did. And so that would cover the period of time when Elijah was still present in this world. And he sends this letter to Jehoram. Now here's what it says. The Lord is bringing judgment on Jehoram because he did not walk in the ways of his fathers. So judgment's coming to him because he's choosing not to follow the Lord. Isn't that interesting here? The child is going to be judged because he has rejected the ways of his father, of his fathers, the line of David, in following the Lord. Here's what else. The Lord pointed out that he walked in the ways of Ahab and killed his brothers. So here we see that the God is judging him for choosing to walk in the ways of Ahab, which means the Baal worship of Ahab, the turning away from the true God and the persecution of those who believe. And he's killed his brothers his brothers who are throughout to solidify his kingdom, God is judging him for that. Now, how's God going to judge him? Well, the Lord will strike the people with serious afflictions. Again, this is hearkening back to the curses of Deuteronomy. So there's going to be trouble in the land, and we're going to see that that takes place. But also what I want you to see here is that there's something specific that's going to happen with Jehoram. 
Jehoram will become very sick with a disease of his intestines and they will come out. Whoa, that's pretty sick, George. Yes, I know, but it's something that's going to strike him that's very brutal. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on as we get further into our survey. Now, the text then goes on after discussing the uh, letter from Elijah. It tells us that the Lord stirred up the Philistines and Arabians who lived near Ethiopia to invade Judah. So we see that God stirs up the Philistines to rebel because, they, again, they are vassals at this point of Judah, but they rebel against and they invade Judah with some Arabian allies, Arabs, Bedouins probably, who are living near the Ethiopians. They carried off possessions as well as Jehoram's wives and sons. So, I mean, this is obviously we see here that Jerusalem must have fallen. Why? Because... Jehoram's wives are carried away and his sons. Yeah, but not all of his sons. This resulted in one son being left to Jehoram, Isaiah. So all the other sons have been carried away. And we're going to see a little bit later on that we're going to find out what exactly happens with those sons. And it's not very good. Now, after the rebellion and invasion, the Lord struck Jehoram with a disease of his intestines. So God struck him with some sort of a severe disease in his bowels. And after suffering for two years, he died in severe pain, having some extreme form of dysentery. And what we see here from the text, it's pretty graphic that literally his bowel, his colon must have been coming out. That's pretty extreme. And he died in severe pain. Having only ruled Judah for eight years. And But listen, the text goes on and tells us that Jehoram was not a popular king. So here, what do you mean by that, George? Well, Jehoram was not mourned by the people when he died as his fathers before him were mourned. So when you think about all the other kings of Judah, when they die, there's a mourning process that happens in the nation. But they didn't mourn Jehoram's death. Pretty sad. Tells you what kind of guy he was. He also was not buried in the tomb of his fathers. Remember when we talked about the other kings of Judah, when they died, they primarily were buried in the tombs of their fathers. Probably David's tomb. We also saw that there was one other king who created his own tomb, but they weren't buried in the pro he wasn't buried in the proper place with the other kings of Judah. That says a lot about his rule as the king. Of Judah. Now the writer of Kings records where the acts of Jehoram are recorded. 
So the writer of Kings is going to tell you, well, you know what? You can go to the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah, which we have in our text, to see where his acts are recorded. And then it says this, that Isaiah, his youngest son, became king over Judah in his place. So the youngest son, who's the only son left because the other sons are taken away, we're going to see what happens to them in a little bit, he becomes king over Judah in his place. So let's talk about Isaiah now. So we're going to get to 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 25 through 29, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 1 to 9. And you say, well, that's not an awful lot of verses. Well, there's not a lot to be said about Isaiah. <clears throat> we'll see a little bit more about him when we get to the king of Israel, Jehu. So the first thing I want you to notice is this. In the twelfth year of Jehoram's reign as king of Israel, Isaiah became king over Judah. Isaiah was 22 years old when he became king, and his mother was Athaliah. Remember, she is the daughter of somebody who's not good, Ahab. Now, the chronicler records that he was made king because his brothers were killed in the invasion. Now, the writer of Kings tells us that the sons were taken by the Philistines and Arabians. The chronicler tells us that they were killed. Ultimately, they were taken, but they were ultimately killed. So there's only one son left who's able to become the king of Judah, and that's Isaiah. Athaliah was the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel, and the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So his mother, Athaliah, comes from a very, very wicked family. She may have been a royal princess, but she comes from a family of people who worship Baal. Now, here's what it says about Isaiah. Isaiah did evil in the sight of the Lord because he walked in the ways of Ahab, king of Israel. So he's going to continue on doing the stuff that his father, Jehoram, had done by walking in the ways of his, quote, grandfather, King Ahab, to the rejection of the ways of his grandfather, David, and Jehoshaphat. It also said he listened to the advice of his father's counselors, which led to his destruction. So he's got these evil men around him, and they're continuing to give the advice that they had given to Jehoram before, but this is only going to lead to the destruction of Isaiah later on. Now, Isaiah went with Jehoram, king of Israel, against Haziel at Ramoth Gilead. Now remember Haziel, we already talked about him before. Haziel was the guy who killed Ben-Hadad II to become king of Syria. And when the prophet did this, Elijah, he looked at him for the longest time and then broke down weeping. And the reason why is because Elisha knew what evil 
Hezael would do against the people of Israel? Well, here we see a battle, a battle again at Ramoth-Gilead, the central focus of where the attack is coming from. And Isaiah, being the king of Judah, goes up to join with the alliance that he has with Jehoram, king of Israel. Now, during the battle, Jehoram, king of Israel, was wounded and went back to Jezreel to recover. So the battle didn't go well, and Jehoram, this is the king of Israel at this time, he gets wounded by an arrow, he goes back and has to heal in Jezreel. Isaiah went down to Jezreel to visit Jehoram while he was recovering. So the one king goes to visit the other king at Jezreel to recover. Now, Isaiah's visit of Jehoram in Jezreel was the Lord's occasion for his downfall. So basically, the text is telling you that this visit of Isaiah going to Jezreel in the northern kingdom to visit the king of Israel who is recovering from his wounds, God used that as the occasion of Isaiah's downfall for him to be wiped out, which we're going to see in a little bit here. So when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu. Now, who's Jehu? We're going to talk about him a little bit more later on in our lesson today. But Jehu, at before this point, was a commander in the army of the northern kingdom, a commander in the army of Israel. And obviously, he is rebelling against his master, Jehoram, so Isaiah goes with Jehoram to see what's going on, to meet or to confront Jehu. We're going to talk about this incident a little bit later as we move into our text a little bit further. So as Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he killed the princes of Judah. So again, remember, when you've got a king from the south coming up with his army, He's going to be bringing his princes with him. Those are other leaders in the government of the southern kingdom. They are with him. Well, while Jehu is executing his judgment on the house of Ahab, he killed the princes of Judah. Jehu's men searched for Uzziah and brought, to, and brought him to Jehu where he was executed. So they search for Isaiah, they find him, bring him to Jehu, guess what? They execute him, they kill him. Because ultimately, you say, why would he do that? Because Isaiah is of the house of Ahab. You say, wait a minute now, he's of the house of Jehoshaphat, or of the house of David. Yes, but notice who his grandfather is, through his mother, Ahab. So he is a relationship of Ahab. And so Jehu is going to execute judgment against him. And so he's executed. Jehu allowed Isaiah to be buried because he was a son of Jehoshaphat. I'm saying that's a pretty interesting thing that's going on here, George. Why is he, quote, allowing him to be buried? Well, we're going to see what his actions are a little bit later concerning the house of Ahab, and you'll understand. So because Isaiah was the grandson of Jehoshaphat, 
Jehu allowed him to experience a proper burial. So there was no one to assume the throne because Jehu killed the sons of Isaiah's brothers. So now we're going to have a crisis now because there's no heir. Because Jehu is killing everybody. And that's going to lead us into our next week's lesson. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, now we come to the issue of Jehu, which is only found in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, through chapter 10, verse 36. And so the writer is going to take us back to Elisha. So here's what I want you to see. Elisha called one of the sons of the prophets to take a flask of oil to Ramoth Gilead. All right, now remember, Ramoth Gilead at this point is still in the control of Israel. It's a flashpoint in the conflict between Israel and Syria. That's where they do a lot of battling when Syria comes to invade. They try to take Ramoth Gilead. Well, Elisha is sending one of the sons of the prophets to take a flask of oil there, anointing oil, to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrives, he was to take Jehu aside and anoint him as king of Israel. Now, this goes back, if you remember, all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 18, when, remember, when Elijah was fleeing from Jezebel, he went all the way to the Mount of God at Horeb or Sinai. And remember, he was to go and out and meet the Lord, and there was a fire, there was an earthquake, there was a great wind, but God was not in that, but he was in the still small voice. And, you know, he hears Elijah say, I'm alone, and I'm on the only one alone, and everybody else, and you know. And remember, God tells him to do certain things. They were to anoint Haziel as king over Syria, one of the things that was supposed to happen was to anoint Jehu king over Israel. So now we see during the time of Elisha's ministry, they've already anointed Haziel king over Syria, and that has taken place. Now we're going to see the anointing of Jehu. That's what's being set up here in the beginning of chapter 9. So when he arrives in Ramoth Gilead, he's to take Jehu, the commander of the army, aside and anoint him as king over Israel. So when the servant reached Ramoth Gilead, he took Jehu aside and he anointed him as king. Now when he took him aside, the text will tell you that he takes him to another room. And he anoints him as king over Israel. He then told Jehu that he was to strike Ahab's house in vengeance for the Lord. So remember, Ahab had been told before his death by both Elijah and another prophet that because of his sin and the killing of Naboth for his vineyard, and because he had forsaken the Lord, that the Lord would wipe out his household and kill his sons, and there would be no one left on the throne for him. Now, of course, we saw that Ahab would die later, 
But now we're going to see that God brings about the fulfillment of this prophecy and he's going to set Jehu on the task of wiping out the household of Ahab. So he announced that the dogs will eat Jezebel and no one will bury her. Basically, she would not receive a proper burial because the dogs would eat her. There would be nothing left of her. So after anointing, anointing Jehu, the servant opened the door and fled. He didn't hang around. He anointed him, told him what he was supposed to say, and he got out of there. Where did he go? Probably back to Elisha with the other sons of the prophets. Now the text goes on and tells you that when, of course, when Jehu goes back to their men, the men want to know what in the world's going on, who was that crazy man with you? Well, when Jehu told his servants what the man had told him, they proclaimed Jehu king of Israel. They immediately rallied to the side of their commander and, and basically proclaim him as king. So Jehu then went with his men to Jezreel where Jehoram and Haziah were. So the first thing you've got to do is you're not just being told you're the king now. You've got to make sure you're the king and you've got to do what the Lord told you to do and that's execute judgment on the house of Ahab. And in order for that to happen, for you to become king, you've got to get rid of the other king. Who's the other king? Jehoram, who's what? Back in Jezreel recovering from his wounds. So guess what? You're going to head there with your army to become king. Make sure you're the king and execute judgment on the house of Ahab. So when Jehu approached Jezreel, a messenger was sent to find out his intentions. So there's a watchman. There would be a wall around the city. He looks out and he sees this group coming with a guy in a chariot. Who is that? I think that's Jehu. Well, what does he want here? He's not supposed to be here. He's supposed to be in Ramoth Gilead. Send out a messenger. Find out what his intentions are. Why is he here? Why is he coming? Find out what's going on. Well, after the messenger joined Jehu, they sent a second messenger to find out his intentions. So when that messenger, the first messenger, gets to Jehu, why are you here? Jehu basically says, fall in line. Follow me. And guess what? The guy does it. And when he doesn't come back, what are we going to do? We're going to send another messenger. Well, here's what happens. When that second messenger does the same thing, uh, there's probably some concern going on here. So guess what happens? Jehoram, king of Israel, and Isaiah, king of Judah, went in their own chariots to meet Jehu at Naboth's vineyard. Isn't that interesting where the meeting takes place in Naboth's vineyard. Is that just a coincidence? So Jehoram asked Jehu if he came in peace, then cried out it was treachery at his response. So he's asking, are you here in peace? Jehu obviously responds in the negative, and Jehoram cries out it's treachery. He's got to flee. 
And he tries to. So Jehu drew his battle bow and killed Jehoram. It says that the basically the arrow went through his back, out and landed into the chariot and killed Jehoram. Jehoram was then thrown in Naboth's vineyard as Jehu recalled the Lord's judgment on Ahab. Now, you're saying recalled. Why would he know exactly what Ahab was told? Well, remember, even though these prophets met with Ahab, met with the king, it wasn't alone, folks. The king would have an entourage. The king would have a bodyguard. The king would have soldiers around him. And it's obvious that when Jehu is talking about, he has witnessed these times when Ahab has been told by the prophets that his house would die and that the judgment would happen because of Naboth's vineyard. And what you're also going to see here is that this house of Ahab, they're not given a proper burial. What do they do with Jehoram, the king of Israel? He's dead now. What do they do? Just throw his body as refuse in Naboth's vineyard for the animals to get. Jehu then pursued Uzziah and killed him with the bow as well. We already talked about that a little bit when Uzziah was killed, when we talked about Uzziah, the king of Judah. Uzziah then was taken to Jerusalem where he was buried in his father's tomb. Now remember, the chronicler says that Jehu allowed him to be buried. The writer of Kings is telling us that the body of Uzziah was then taken to Jerusalem where he was buried in his father's tomb. The writer of Kings states that Uzziah became king of Judah in the 11th year of Jehoram. So he just kind of wants to make you know when this is all taking place. But the story doesn't end here now. Because there's more with Jehu. And we're going to see he's been given the task to wipe out the house of Ahab. We say, I thought he's already done that. Well, there's still Jezebel and there's still others. So let's see what the text says. When Jehu entered Jezreel, Jezebel called him the murderer of his master. The text will tell you that when Jehu enters into to Jezreel, obviously from the palace or wherever, it says that Jezebel, who would be the mother of the king who was just killed, looks down, she dolls up her face, looks down and proclaims to him, is that you, murderer of your master? So she's referring to Jehu as the murderer of his master. Here's what Jehu does. He calls out and asks her eunuch attendants if they were on his side. So she's got these eunuch attendants and he calls out to them and says, whose side are you on? Are you on my side? Well, Jehu told the eunuchs to cast Jezebel down from the window and she was trampled by the horses. So they cast her down. If that didn't kill her, she's trampled by the horses that are in the courtyard below, possibly. She's basically being stomped on. 
After feasting, he had his servants go and bury Jezebel's body since she was a king's daughter. So there's, there's this protocol that has to be followed. But they didn't do it immediately. They had a feast first. And at the end of the feast, Jehu decides, okay, we should give this woman a proper burial. She is a king's daughter, the king of Sidon. That, that probably wouldn't be good if we don't bury her properly. So he sends some servants out to do that. Now here's the problem. When they looked for her, they only found her skull, her feet, and the palms of her hands. Folks, the palms of her hands, that would be right here. She doesn't even have fingers anymore. Why? Because the text tells you the prophecy was is that she would be eaten by who? The dogs. So there wasn't anything there to bury, which was in accordance with the prophecy. So this was a fulfillment of Elijah's prophecy that the dogs would eat Jezebel's body. But the story doesn't end there. King Ahab had 70 sons who lived in Samaria, the capital city of Samaria. Remember, they're in Jezreel. But back in the capital city, there are 70 sons who were sons to Ahab, which would mean they were brothers to Jehoram. Jehu sent letters to the leaders of Samaria calling for them to set a son on the throne. Basically, Jehoram is dead. You put a son on the throne then. Well, the leaders were afraid of Jehu and they offered their loyalty to him. So basically, they're afraid. Like, we're not going to put one of these guys on the throne. And they sent back a message. Hey, we're loyal to you. So Jehu told him to bring the heads of Ahab's son to him in Jezreel. Basically, I want the heads of these 70s. And they were to be brought in a basket to Jezreel. Guess what happens, folks? Those leaders did Jehu's bidding, killed the sons, and sent their heads to Jehu in baskets. Jehu then placed the heads at the entrance of the gate for all to see in Jezreel. These are brutal times, folks. Brutal times. Jehu killed all who remained of the Ahab's household in Jezreel. Now, when we talk about the household, what are we talking about? Everyone who was a part of the household. That would be servants, counselors, that would be any relative living Anyone, wives, concubines, everyone was killed from Ahab's household that was in Jezreel. When Jehu went to Samaria, he met the brothers of Isaiah, king of Judah. And when the brothers identified themselves, Jehu had all 42 of them killed. So he's wiped out anybody who is connected with Ahab's house and in the process kills Isaiah. Of course, we know that already, but all of his brothers and his brother's sons. 
Once in Samaria, he had those of Ahab's household killed according to the prophecy. So he's done this already in Jezreel. Now he gets to Samaria, the capital, wipes out anybody left from Ahab's household. Now, here's an interesting note that we're going to see, and we're going to say, wow, that's, a, that's obviously a good thing to do, but you're going to see there's a contradiction here. So first of all, Jehu then called for a feast to Baal as he declared that he would serve Baal more than Ahab. So he's going to make a feast to Baal and says, I'm going to worship and follow Baal more than Ahab did. He's lying. How do I know that? Here's what happens. The prophets and followers of Baal gathered from all of Israel for the feast. So he proclaims there's going to be this feast. He wants all the followers of Baals to come. Baal followers, Baal worshipers, Baal prophets. And so they all gather at the capital city for this feast from all over the northern kingdom. And they would come because they're followers of Baal. And the king has proclaimed this feast. Once they gathered in the temple, Jehu made sure to remove the worshipers of the Lord. So he didn't want anyone who followed the Lord in the temple. Kind of see what's coming, don't you? Jehu placed 80 men around the temple with orders to kill anyone who escaped. In fact, the orders were such like this. Anyone who escapes, a life for a life. If you don't kill anyone who comes out of here, anyone who survives that comes out of that temple, you give your life instead. So what does that ensure? Everyone who escapes out of the temple would die. So Jehu then sent men to kill everyone in the temple and burn the sacred pillars of Baal. So he sends his men, he's got 80 men outside, kill anybody who escapes, and then he sends the rest of his men with the sword in there, and they kill everyone in this feast. Nobody leaves. He's killing and wiping out all of the Baal prophets and worshipers in the northern kingdom in one time. And then he destroys the sacred pillars of Baal. But that's not all he does. Jehu had the temple of Baal torn down and made into a garbage dump, a refuge pile, it says. Basically a place where people would throw their garbage. Sadly, it tells us, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. Now, isn't that interesting? Why is it that they can reject Baal, but they don't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. And I'll tell you why it is. Even though they reject Baal, they still have this concept that Jeroboam had implanted in their mind that goes all the way back to when they made the golden calf in their exodus, in their wilderness journeys in the past. Remember, Jeroboam told them, these are the gods that brought you out of Israel. They think in their warped thinking that somehow these gods, these, this sin of Jeroboam is connected to the worship of the Lord. But it's not. 
And Jehu does not turn away from those sins. Now, remember, the Lord made a promise here to Jehu. The Lord told Jehu that his sons would sit on the throne until the fourth generation. So basically, because he did what the Lord had said of wiping out Ahab and in wiping out the worship of Baal, God ensured that his dynasty would exist. It wouldn't be just his kingship, but his son to the fourth generation would be on the throne in the northern kingdom. But it also goes on and tells us that Jehu did not walk in the law of God because he would not depart from the sin of Jeroboam. So he's not worshiping Baal, but guess what he's doing, folks? He's continuing to propagate the lie, continuing to propagate the false worship of these golden calves that are in Dan as well as in Bethel. And in those days, the Lord reduced the size of Israel as Heziel conquered more territory. So the kingdom of Samaria, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, during the time of Jehu, begins to shrink. Why? Because Heziel, king of Syria, begins to conquer more and more territory. And why does this happen? Because God's bringing judgment on Israel for their worship of idols and their rejection of him. The writer records where the acts of Jehu are recorded. We also see the text tells us that in 1 Kings. Excuse me, in 2 Kings. And then it says that Jehu died and was buried in Samaria as he made his son Jehoaz king in his place. And we'll talk more later about Jehoaz as king. The writer also records that Jehu ruled Israel from Samaria for 28 years. So he had a long tenure as a king. Long tenure. And that, folks, brings us to the end of our study today. Now next week, when we come back, we're going to see that now there is a crisis in the southern kingdom. What do you mean? Haziah has been killed. His brothers have been killed. The brothers' sons have been killed. Who is there to be on the throne? And so we're going to look at what happens in the southern kingdom next week as we progress further along in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles.